everybody. This is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. You guys know Adrienne from Nursing Uncensored. I know you're familiar with her. If you're not, you need to be. Go to Nursing Uncensored and listen to her podcast because it's really, you guys will like it. It's awesome. Thanks. Hi. Great to be here. I'm excited to to record with you again. I want to take a minute to uh, thank you guys for for going onto our website and purchasing t-shirts. Like that was so awesome. Just kind of seeing those orders come in because you you know that Levi, I've I've said that Levi, my son, has kind of, he took over that whole process and he's been designing the t-shirts and making the t-shirts and he's really, the whole little print shop business is his. And it's kind of neat that he's getting to learn, you know, have some a little income from that and learn how to run a business. Yeah, young entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, I I think it's a great learning experience, especially, you know, school is out. We don't know if, we're, are we going back to school? Are we not? So it was almost like a little uh, homeschool project to kind of learn how to run a business. And he's really doing great with it. He's so cute. He designed, uh, the last one he designed uh, is the one that says, not, to, I think it does say not to brag. I think it says not to brag, but my mom's a good nurse. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. It's, oh, it's so cute. So he surprised me with that one night. He he was, uh, he told us, I was like, don't let mom go to sleep yet. I want to surprise her. And he printed it and brought it up and was wearing it. And I was like, oh, Levi, that is adorable. I, I think that's awesome. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. I think it's great that he would wear it. Like, I mean, that's, that's a huge compliment to me, to me as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so. He knows. He knows what's up. <laughs> so if you guys are interested in seeing what t-shirts we have, we'll have more to come. He is learning how to put uh, designs like that onto coffee cups and wine glasses and that sort of thing. And we have something kind of cool that's that's going to be coming up that we're going to try to do. We have a local, uh, our local mission has thrift stores. I know you guys are probably familiar with this concept, like Goodwill, Mm -hmm. Habitat for Humanity stores. So our local mission is called CARM. It's the Knox Knox Area Rescue Ministry. They feed the homeless. They uh, give them a place to sleep at night. That's not all they do. They, they help people get on their feet. If, if, if people are motivated and want, you know, want something more than, than just a roof over their head and something to eat. They will help them get on their feet. It is a wonderful organization. Nice. My Yeah, one of my other sons actually works for them. And so we, we've we seen enough behind the scenes and the things that goes on, the running of the company that I cannot shout from the rooftops enough about how wonderful this organization is. Like it's truly, it really does change people's lives. And so what we, I've, well, I had this idea because I like to go in their store. They have amazing things. And I saw these cups and I was like, oh my gosh, these cups are perfect. Why would I go spend money like buying cups from somewhere and having, you know, and putting logos and stuff on that? Why wouldn't I give the money to Carm? And it's literally putting food in people's mouths. Like, liter- and they always tell you like, you fed this many people every time you buy something. And so I bought a bunch of cups and a bunch of wine glasses. They look absolutely perfect. There's nothing wrong with them. So I think we're going to do the Carm collection. Just full disclosure, I don't. I want people to understand they're not they're not new, but you literally could not tell. 
that they were. I'm all about the repurposing culture. I think Mm -hmm. that's brilliant. I think you're keeping things out of landfills. You're stopping the production of things that we don't need. Like, we Mm -hmm. have stuff. And you're making something cool out of it that people actually want to have. So... That's perfect. Yeah, that's exactly that's, what, what you should be I'm doing. I'm exactly the same way. I love thrift stores. I love to buy. I love yeah. to know that I, instead of spending, you know, $50 on something, I could spend $30 on it. And it's literally in the same shape it, it would be one day after I bought it brand new. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And actually, my, um, let me make sure I'm focusing here. My boyfriend actually lovingly makes fun of the fact that anytime I bring home something new, he'll be like, oh, is that a new such and such? And I'll be like, yeah, it was only a dollar. So now, anytime I bring something home, he'll be like, let me guess, it was only a dollar. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, basically. Uh, but, you know, people like my home. I have a lot of art in my home. I have a lot of cool stuff. It's kind of eclectic, but I am proud to say that like probably 60% of the stuff in my house was at some point owned by someone else. And I am cool with that because you find interesting things and uh, you, in your case, are quite literally making a difference in your community with that. It's not just me like making stuff for my kitchen. Like you're actually giving back and that's admirable. Well, I want you guys to know that that's where this stuff is coming from. And it, it will be a little hodgepodge. You know, some of this, like, you know, the the cups are going to be probably sort of one of a kind. You know, they're they're not all going to be one. the same. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm kind of excited. So the day that I did this, I saw this bright red one, this bright red cup. And I kind of like had the spark. That's how my brain just sort of works. Like these ideas pop into my head. And I thought, oh, that would make such a cute. And then I walked off. I didn't pick it up. Walked off, kept thinking about it, couldn't stop thinking about it. And I thought, I'm going to do this. What if I just walked back there and bought all those cups? I just like literally fed people with the money and then I can just go. And I just like had this, and I walked back there and the red cup was gone. And I was like, well, darn it. I wanted that red cup, but that's okay. But, there, <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but my point is that they, there might be like different colors or I don't know, who knows what what it might be, but we'll put like a little separate, so like, uh, section uh, for that so that you'll know like this is the Karm collection so this cup is kind of it's like one of a kind you buy it you're going to get that literal cup shipped to you nice <laughs> you know so anyway we're going to th- there's some things coming down the road like I said Levi's got to learn how to do that and there's a learning curve when it comes to doing this stuff and and he's still he's still learning give it time he'll get it he'll get it mm-hmm. it's good no different than if you go back and listen to some of the first episodes of this podcast. You Same. will hear. <laughs> Same. I used to record this on a on like a phone. Like that's how yeah. I started. My first episodes were just like, it sounds like a crappy phone connection because it is. <laughs> I know. And you thought it sounded great. I did. I thought, oh man, listen to this. And then later on, I start. Um, I go back and I'm like, oh gosh, that sounded really bad. <laughs> I was, I've spent a lot of time around musicians. I knew it was bad, but I just wanted to start, you know? It's and I also like, didn't know it would become anything. I thought like, oh, I'll do mm-hmm. a few. Maybe I won't. Yeah. And uh, now, now I have studio-ish. <laughs> it's funny how it turns in. It can kind of morph into something like that. And also, I have had a few people say, hey, I was going to, I wanted to listen to this episode or that episode of like the first few episodes because the sound quality really is atrocious in the first episodes. And I, I just kind of didn't want to leave those out there for people who, you know, go to a podcast and then start from the beginning. And they might be like, eh, this, mm. I don't think I want to listen to this. 
uh, we actually archived those, and I apologize for that, but <laughs> I just couldn't stand the thought You'll of it anymore. You'll have to remaster like, them someday. Like someday I wonder they'll if they'll be like... Remaster or... Some, we actually... Days. Now, Mark did put them on our website. They are like, if you go and do like the $3 a month patron thing, and if you want to torture yourself and listen to them, they are pretty <laughs> funny. I mean, Sam and I have a... a a really good back and forth. And Sam is hilarious. She was the one that I did uh, several of the very first ones with. And if you want to hear Sam, she's hysterical. She really is funny. Very, very country, Southern <laughs> Tennessee, East Tennessee girl, and just a funny person just to be around. And so if you want to hear him, you know, you can go on the website and just do the like $3 a month patron thing and you can have access to those. There's also some other things like we're putting uh, little video clips on there. There's, um, so we're kind of calling that the break room. So like, you know how you kind of like meet me in the break room and you're going to like have a conversation about something and you mm-hmm. sort of like vent. That's where some of that stuff's going nice. on. And we vent about stuff that I don't necessarily want to get too negative on this podcast about things because I do want to promote positivity and I don't want people like misunderstand me when I say stuff. So if you go there and you listen to some of that stuff, please, please give me grace because I, as I say all the time, like sometimes we do want to vent and we just need a vent. And like we mm-hmm. need people to just put like judgment free zone. It's therapeutic. We all yes. know it's therapeutic. Exactly. So that's what that's that's what that area is, if you're curious that's about perfect. it. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's kind of exciting. Lots of new things going on. So I guess we can get started though uh, in this episode. This episode is gonna be about respiratory therapists. We haven't done I've done one a long time ago, so it's been a while. And but you guys know I brag on the respiratory therapists all the time. They are amazing at what they do. They're specialists at the respiratory yeah. system, and it's what mm-hmm. literally what they are. Absolutely, they know everything. Mm-hmm. And I, I was, you know, I was telling you before we started recording. As you, as a critical care nurse, I, as an intermediate pulmonary nurse, my RT are like always there. I learn from them. I work with them. I coordinate cares with them. And actually, I'm working with one of our respiratory therapists right now to work on some um, helpful cheat sheets for new nurses when they're learning how to use ventilators and patients with airway issues. So I love RT, and I defend them. And if you treat your RT badly, I better not find out about it. <laughs> I don't know why someone. I don't know. Why some people do. Some. I mean, you know, there are good and bad in every profession, as mm-hmm. we know from all of the well, episodes yeah. of your show. Um, but I don't know. I think some people don't necessarily realize that, like you said, they are specially trained. They are experts in respiratory care. As nurses, we got to know a lot. A, a, a little to a lot about a lot of things and yeah. they get to really focus in and yeah I don't know anyone personally that rags on the RTs because if they did I'd flick them in the nose and tell them to knock it off so uh, yeah yeah they're valuable they are valuable members of the healthcare team yeah I think that it's uh it's one of those it's one of those professions that people it's very misunderstood I don't mm-hmm. I don't it, nursing is the same way nurses are very misunderstood if you are if you don't if you're not obviously not a nurse or don't uh, know a nurse well enough to have to kind of be you know around 
you know, conversation and know what goes on. A lot of people don't understand the responsibility that nurses have. I would say a lot of people don't understand the responsibility respiratory therapists have and and the scope of practice that they have and what all they can do and what all they know and how well, you know, how educated they are. They are and um, they are a huge asset to the team and they're not just there to call to suction the patient, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> they're they not. are not people there for you to delegate to all shift oh, long. No, it's not. And, you know, when it comes to delegating, um, you know, you can delegate to anyone. You don't, you, delegation, I can delegate something to my manager. I can delegate, some, you know, it's just basically taking something off of your plate and giving it to someone else who has the ability or the time or, you know, it's in their scope of practice to be able to do something. You can delegate something to a physician. You can delegate it to a CNA, a respiratory therapist. It's just like, I've got all of this and I can't handle all of it. I'm going to have to take something off me. But it's not a derogatory, it's not a... Some um, people treat it as such. That's what you have to make sure that you Mm -hmm. are using it, yeah, like you said, as appropriately. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, I, I sometimes it gets very sticky, you know, when it comes to who's responsible for doing what because, you know, trait care or suctioning or or that sort of thing. Um, respiratory therapists a lot of times are spread very thin in hospitals mm-hmm. and they yeah. have, they do have a tremendous responsibility and they can't just be called, you know, to the floor from another floor mm-hmm. to come and suction your patient yeah. when literally it would probably take you, you know, 90 seconds to do it. Yeah. So. You know, just some, just a little, a little word of advice and a pat on the back for for them. <laughs> yeah, a little caveat. You know, mm-hmm. be be nice to them because the amount of stuff I've learned from my respiratory therapist coworkers mm-hmm. is amazing. It's made me a better nurse. So, um, yeah. yeah. Oh yes, absolutely. It will make you a better nurse. Listen, and to them. they've saved my butt and yes. my patient's butt so many times. You know, so yes. um, I always uh, feel so much more comfortable when they're in the room. Mm-hmm. I because I, I just like they got your back. They really got your back when it comes to Same. all things respiratory. Yeah, <laughs> they're cool, calm, and collected too, man. They are. They're just like you know. Mm-hmm. So having said that, though, this is about. <laughs> a, I said this is. You guys know this is the true crime, you know, portion of the story. It's the, it's the bad nurse story, and we pick on nurses so much on this podcast and doctors too. So it's a little bit refreshing to have someone that's not a nurse or a doctor to talk about. Equal opportunity picking on people. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And unfortunately, you know, we say this all the time, there there are people in every profession, whether it's healthcare, whether it's, you know, whatever, there are people in every profession who are just evil people or just, I don't know, they, who knows, they just make mistakes or they have a bad, bad, um, moment or whatever in this guy's case eh, i'm gonna go with the <laughs> he's had a lot of moments <laughs> yeah a lot way too of many. bad moments more way than you're many. allowed yeah mm-hmm. it's not yeah you, you've gone beyond just yeah having a moment it's gone into a whole entire life pretty much yeah and this was something i had never heard of this story before so as i was reading it i was like no way really mm-hmm. so yeah. It's true. So this guy's name is Efren Saldivar. Every time I see this name, I want to say Salvador every single time. I can't like I because I read through and try to like, you know, I will I will read out loud just so kind of I can kind of get myself used to talking about it. And I can't I always want to say Sal uh Sal I can't do it right now. Because <laughs> Your brain I'm, wants I'm to like, go one. Am way. I gonna 
say the wrong thing or am I going to say the right thing? Then I messed myself up. But it is Saldivar, as far as I can tell. Um, he was born in Brownsville, Texas. Another Texas person. This I, I tend to pick on certain states for some reason in Texas. Is, it's a big state, okay? It's a big state. <laughs> Uh, he attended the College of Medical and Dental Careers in North Hollywood, California, and he graduated in 1988 and then later took a position on night shift. This stuff always seems to happen on night shift. <laughs> uh, Giving Glendale. us a bad name. I know, you guys. Come on. Get with it. <sighs> so Glendale Adventist Medical Center is where he was working when all this went down. So kind of, you know, early on, earlier on in his life, parents, Alfredo and Isara, they moved into the country from Mexico. They wanted their children to be born here as U.S. citizens, you know, to have an opportunity, which is really sad because, you know, they made a lot of sacrifices. Mm -hmm. His dad was a handyman. His mom was a seamstress, a very hard, you know, very hardworking people. He was a good student um, and apparently outgoing, extroverted, but didn't necessarily always fit in you know, when he was growing up, went to high school in LA, idolized gangs that he saw in school. I mean, there's a little bit of a red flag, right? Mm. Who idolizes gangs? That's not good. Worked at a supermarket for one of his first jobs and was caught stealing items, according to uh, some people. Of course, that stuff is usually expunged off your record, but it's, you know, people still it, know it happened. Yeah. So when he first started as a respiratory therapist, his colleagues... You know, they were okay with him. He was, they said he was dependable from their standpoint. Some did think he was a little awkward. When I read that, I thought, I don't know that that's completely unusual. I I might be considered a little awkward at times myself. Same, <laughs> oh, me too. Yeah, that's, not, that's not a bad thing, isn't it? Isn't that a good, good thing? I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to have to go with it because I'm pretty sure I am awkward. Uh, and my, one of my really good friends, Kira, who she always hates it when I say her name, but Oh, well, um, she and I talk about that all the time. It's just, it's just awkward. It's, there's nothing wrong with being awkward. It's not bad. <laughs> Some people thought he was awkward, um, and maybe those people thought it was bad. But maybe there are different awkward. kinds of awkward. There's now, like, there are. Uh-huh. Uh, but isn't that creepy, though? It's like, that might go across the line from awkward into creepy. Like, if you're just like, what the heck was that all about, you know? Yeah, and that's just it. On one border of awkward, we cross over and we're in creepy town. So You're like, yeah, darn so. it, I stepped over the line again that time. <laughs> <laughs> so one nurse um, says that he all he was always offering to give neck massages at the nurse's station. Ew. Okay, we just stepped over the line. <laughs> yeah, I knew somebody that used to do that. And it was, no, just don't. Uh, don't do mm -mm. that. Don't touch. Don't touch your coworkers. Don't. Now, now, if they're if they're, if it's like an older woman who is like doing that with two other like females, and like it's okay, I've seen that, and for that, that that's not creepy as for for some. I reason. mean, no, but it's got to be. You, there there has to be consent. You can't just yeah. like I, the person I knew would just like walk up to you and start doing it. It's nope. like mm, don't do that. Don't do that's that. That's not appropriate at all. And the, he was that kind of person, it sounds like, like offering to give neck massages. Nah, no thank you. So night shift, also called graveyard shift. Uh, some people like to call it graveyard shift. Apparently, they would always cut up and make inappropriate jokes um, uh, or maybe gossiping, you know, about 
Saldivar, okay, they were saying things like, he's a little suspicious. He, they even said he used a magic syringe. Um, to me, it's, you know, they said that it wasn't enough to report him, but if you're saying that someone has a magic syringe, I don't know how that isn't something you there are red fl- There are red flags there. Like, there's mm-hmm. a point at which joking isn't really joking, and when you mm-hmm. become known for something like this, that's yeah. a lot. Like, it's not something I would want my boss to hear people saying about me. It's just, you know, it's not a good reputation to have or to build. No. Now, I will say that the five years I've been a nurse, it is very common for nurses to say things like, oh, she's got a dark cloud over her. He has a dark cloud. Uh, and what they mean by that is it's it does, it's like you get into a bad um, what run where your patients tend to take a turn for the worst and things go south. And that sometimes it does seem to happen to like the same nurse over and over again. And it's not anything to about that nurse. It's just like, you just happen to notice it. Um, it. The more stories I do like this, the more uncomfortable I get with people joking about that. Because I always mm-hmm. think, you guys, that's like in every single story I've ever done mm-hmm. about this. There's always the coworkers that come back and say, well, yeah, we did joke around about him being a, you know, Having he the thought cloud. he was a creeper. Yeah. I know. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, you guys probably shouldn't joke around about that because if there's ever anything called in the question, this subject is this, you know, topic of conversation is going to come up. Like, mm-hmm. it's not a good idea to talk about that. If you really think that the things are, is there too much of a coincidence that um, someone's patients are, you know, seem to be coding a lot, their people, their patient died and nobody expected it, that sort of thing. That should be well, reported and, and some not joked the, about. Right? No, and you know, we also, I don't know about, I imagine that, that nurses everywhere are taught how to like recognize signs of like drug diversion. Do they offer to give your narcotics all the time? Do they disappear to the bathroom for extended periods after coming out of a patient room where they gave narcs or benzos or whatever that person is abusing? So we're taught to kind of look for these like odd behaviors, like suddenly people People are very like emotional or they get very angry very easily. I mean, these don't always mean that there's diverting, but these are things that should not be like the norm of professional behavior. So they should raise some red flags. And if you're laughing about it in the break room, the question is, if everybody joking about it knows the same thing or thinks the same things about that person, is there something going on there? It's at least worth worth thinking about. Yeah, I agree. And I think that I I know that all the times that I've heard people joke about that, I know that those coworkers did not really think that that person had done anything wrong. Like they literally literally were legitimately just joking around. Um, and it was not something like truly, like they were truly suspicious of the person. Sure. But you got to be just, careful. You it's be just so yeah. careful. I do, I do think you have to be careful because I think about it. What if a question like that came up? What if something like that happened and there was an investigation and they saw a pattern and they found, you know, evidence and then it came back that people were joking about that. They mm-hmm. would, that would make you as a coworker look really bad. Like, hey, you were you said this and then you didn't go say something like so I I think we 
I'm all about the dark humor. You guys know I Yeah, am. but again, there's a spectrum. Know your yeah. audience, know your situation. Mm-hmm. Like, don't, don't, uh... Don't get yourself in trouble or, or exactly, get someone else in trouble exactly. if it's not, you know. Yeah. It's a little, it's a little <laughs> too serious. Of, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. and, and it happens. That's the problem with these stories. Like, the, the, there are people out there like this doing this sort of thing. Yeah. So, and this, this guy, Saldivar, he definitely sounded like people maybe were uncomfortable around him at the very mm-hmm. minimum, you know? Yeah. Well, apparently there was one time in 1996 where he had to be called in for half a shift. So I guess he was probably, you know, put on call. And then, if, you know, half the shift goes on and they're like, oh, we need you to come on in. He came on in. And one of the patients that night died um, who he had treated. And it was someone that no one was expecting to die at all. And that really kind of made everyone go, mm. and he started becoming known as a jinx, you know, like they didn't want to, other people didn't want to work with him. They would, you know, joke like, oh, he's working tonight. Guess what? You know, uh, I, you know what that's going to mean? We're going to be busy, stuff like that. So in 1997, a coworker re- did report him and said that he was injecting uh, into patients, uh, drugs into patients that there were rumors about a magic syringe. He reported that, this this coworker did. But they didn't do an investigation because, or I guess they investigated enough to know that there wasn't a rise in deaths at the time during his shift. So they looked at that and went, well, we can't really see that there's an increase in the number of deaths, you know, when he works versus when other people are working. And there was some evidence that this coworker had some beef with him. And so management was kind of like, well, it sounds like this person is just trying to... Get uh, in trouble. Right. Yeah. So they didn't take it any further than that. So people knew something was seriously wrong when some other respiratory therapists, as a practical joke, broke into his locker and they were going to hide someone else's clothes in there and when they opened the locker, they found a stash of drugs. They found morphine, succinylcholine, um, and pabulon, which is a uh, apparently it's a paralytic. paralytic. Yeah. yeah, it's sort of yeah, like it's um, a pancuronium bromide. Yeah, right. It's like um, vecaronium, mm-hmm. arocaronium, those those types of paralytic drugs. So. No reason for a respiratory therapist to have those in his locker or anyone to have them in their lo- in their locker and, at all. Yeah. And can I ask, do you, at your facility, and I don't know, I haven't worked a ton of hospitals, but mm-hmm. in my facility, like the nurses give the meds. Like there's not a time, let me rephrase that. Our respiratory therapists do like nebulizers mm-hmm. and like airway related stuff. Yes. But there would be no reason that a respiratory therapist would ever like give a patient morphine. Like I know some places they might, morphine is great for air hunger and that sort of thing. But in our case, at my facility, the nurse would give that medication. So Yes. So I've never heard of a respiratory therapist having it within their scope of practice to administer medication through an IV. So that would make me go, well, how did he get this in the first place? And what, yeah, why is this in his locker? It shouldn't be in anybody's locker, like you said. It shouldn't even yeah. be in a nurse's locker. No, yeah, for sure. So in 1998, one of the respiratory therapists mentioned the whole locker incident um, at a bar. 
So apparently there's this, a, a bar where they all go and hang out and they're just sitting there talking and this respiratory therapist mentions uh, this incident and there is someone there at the at the bar who is there quite often and his name is Grant Brosis. So he overhears this gossip. He, he hears them talking about this. He calls the hospital and asks to speak with the person in charge. I'm just like, are you sure this guy's not, name's not Karen? It's because it really, that's what came to my mind. As soon as I, can I speak with the person in charge? I needed to talk to your manager. I know. That's really what I thought of as soon as I saw that. So he was hoping to get some sort of financial reward for turning in a, quote, angel of death. Like, who thinks this is going to happen? I don't know. I don't really understand that. Like, They're just going to write you a check? Like, what are you after? Oh, yeah. There's a reward for turning in angels of death. I don't know. I know I've never heard of anything like this before. But that apparently was his motive for calling the hospital, you know, as opposed to calling the police, maybe trying to really actually get, uh, if this is true, have this stopped and save someone's life, you know, being the motive that you would hope. (laughs) But so the police learned uh, that Saldivar had been reported. And so they approached him during questioning. He folded, started confessing. He admitted he was injecting patients. He said that the first time he did it, he was 19 years old and the patient had terminal cancer. After he was arrested, he just kept on talking, confessing, claimed to have killed a little over 50 people. And so they searched his home, didn't find any drugs. So they released him. I don't understand. I mean- Like he still killed people. Like he still killed someone. I mean, he admitted it. That's what I don't get it. I get, like, I, I. how do you, I guess you can go admit something, but they they don't arrest you because they, you know, I guess as soon as they arrest you, that time, uh, the, the clock starts ticking and on how long it takes for, for them to be able to bring it before a grand jury and decide whether or not to prosecute. And they didn't want to do that because they, even though he said that, that's literally maybe all of the evidence that they had. And they- okay. They want to hang their hat just on that because all he had to do is walk that back and say, oh, you know. So they released him. The hospital did fire him, thank goodness, uh, since he did confess to doing that. The police start sifting through over a thousand patient deaths that had occurred during his shifts. Now, of course, not all of them were his patients. Not all of them, you know, he, he was responsible for, but they don't know, you know, who, who he is, who, who he did, killed and who he didn't. So they have to look at all of them. They worked on narrowing the number down to the most suspicious ones. So like when a, fa- a patient seemed fairly healthy um, and then all of a sudden something Respiratory happened. Respiratory arrest. Yeah, right. Something, they that crash. sort of thing. And of course they could only... Um, investigate the ones who were buried. You know, if they were cremated, there's nothing that they can really do. So they exhumed about 20 bodies and six of them, aged 75 to 87, were found to have lethal amounts of pavulant in their systems. So that's kind of like their smoking gun right there. 
Like, and for those that don't know, if you give, so it's usually given to stop people from moving when they're during procedures, surgeries, when they're sedated. And if you give someone this medication and they're not on a ventilator because of the skeletal muscles not being able to move, like many people that are not in healthcare don't know that your your lungs don't, they're not muscles. So in order for you to breathe, the muscles around them have to move. So if you can't move those muscles, you are potentially conscious and you can't breathe. You can't move. You know, that, this has happened so this a, is, a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's just horrifying to think. Now mm-hmm. he said, that the patients were unconscious, but do we trust him really? I don't know. I, I don't trust him. You know, he obviously is someone who would do something like this. So as a lot of these people who do things like this will say, he claims that the patients were all basically on their deathbed. They were they were dying and he was trying to save them from suffering. That was that was his take. Again, I, you know, as someone who would do this sort of thing, kind of take this this whole someone else's life into their own hands like this. I mean, I don't, I don't trust his words. I mean, that's why you believe, why would you believe him? There's no reason to believe anything he says. And then my other question is not only do I question his honesty, but I question how, how is he making this determination, you know? And regardless, I don't want to say that oh, it's a legal end of story because there are lots of things that are illegal that, you know, throughout the course of history have proven that they shouldn't be. But in this case, it's kind of like, well, what made you the expert on them being at death store? What, so even if he is being honest about that, how has he suddenly become the expert to be like, oh, this guy's going to die anyway? And why is that his call to make? It's Well, not. and why were some of these people actually relatively healthy and and were not expected right. to die. Right, which is why they started sniffing around because right. they're like, well, we didn't anticipate that. Because you can usually tell halfway through a shift if someone's like doing okay. Chest mm-hmm. x-ray looks good, labs look good, they're breathing comfortably. And then all of a sudden, with no no evident reason why, they just deteriorate and die. Mm-hmm. That's, Yeah. Well, by January 2001, the police had built a case against him. That took a while. Um, In 2002, yeah. He pleaded guilty to all six murders of the patients that they were able to, you know, exhume and investigate in exchange for being sentenced to six consecutive life terms and an additional 15 years for attempted murder because there was one patient that didn't die. He he did try to inject and didn't die. I mean, that right there tells you that there's... There was someone who was not was, was obviously not, not going dying. to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so he he received that sentence rather than the, the death penalty. Um, he said he obtained the drugs. You were asking earlier about like how in the world do you get these drugs? Because respiratory therapists would normally not. That's not something they would have access to, or they would. It would definitely look suspicious if they mm-hmm. were even had them in the room. You know. Uh, but he said he obtained the the drugs from code situations that he would, you know, respiratory therapists are called to codes and they in, can intubate a patient. Mm-hmm. Uh, that happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. And so he would be called in to have to intubate a patient and after everyone would leave, there would be extra drugs laying around, this stuff. I, it's really hard for me to, 
to understand that because even in 2000, or what what was it, 1990, the 1990s, surely this stuff was being counted even at that mm-hmm. time. I know that was a while ago, but I can't imagine that it would have been appropriate for someone to be leaving morphine and succinylcholine and um, pancaronium or whatever it is just lying around. I That was confusing. I didn't understand that at all. But yeah, that's how I said that, he got it. I mean, and and a lot of it too, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. A fair amount if he has like a stash of it in his locker. So I guess that would just be, any you'd chance have to be, You'd have to be pretty sly. And I know that there are some people sly to hand is like pretty easy for them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you've got to, you've got to be practiced at this. You're not, you can't just go around and be like, I'm going to take this and I'm going to take this. And I know that as a nurse, if I'm opening up that code cart, I'm paying attention to where things are. I'm not just like throwing bottles everywhere. Like you draw it up and then you set it back on the cart. Mm-hmm. Codes aren't necessarily like, you know, chaotic. So that's that's fishy. Maybe that is how we got it. If that is the case, then maybe they need, hopefully since then they've tightened up their uh, their their narc and their uh, paralytic game and keeping that on, under wraps. Yeah, you, you you would hope so. I'm sure they have. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. This, this was a, a bit back in the day. So uh, just as soon as something like this happens, I'm sure it goes all throughout, you know, probably all through the country. And everybody's like, whoa, you know, you know, we got to tighten up our game. Mm-hmm. Kind of like when the Redonda Vought uh, situation happened and she oh, yeah. accidentally mm-hmm. gave Vecaronium to a patient. Uh, there were um, hospitals all over this country pulled it out of their Omni mm-hmm. cells so that it could, that couldn't happen again. And that, I think that was an appropriate response for sure. I, I liked that at least that one good thing came out of that, even though it was a terrible for sure, situation. For sure. yeah. Which, by the way, for those of you who have messaged me and asked me how that's going, because of the whole COVID thing, I she was supposed to have her trial at this time. Like, it should have been happening right now, but there are no trials happening in the state of Tennessee right now. That's been halted. None. So, and I, the last I heard, the court has not allowed that mm-hmm. to, to move forward. Yeah, like, yeah. I think it's the Tennessee State Supreme Court, I believe, is the one that whoever mandated that, but they're not opening it back up. So, mm-hmm. and the reason that they're saying that they are not having trials right now, this is because I, I was reading about this. I was curious, like, what is going on with their trial? Like, are they going to have it? What's, um, they said the reason that they are not having trials right now is that a defendant having to sit there with a mask on is going to just automatically look more guilty that, a jury would really, even if they tried, would have a hard time being impartial and not having that affect their opinion of the defendant. And I, I think that that's actually really um, judicious of of those judges. Um, I mean, I think that that uh, shows that they actually do care because sometimes the criminal justice system, it seems like nobody really actually cares about the people that are on trial. And, you know, while someone like this, you just think, eh, he doesn't deserve anything, let him rot, you know, he confessed so we we know he's guilty. Mm-hmm. There are people who were wrongfully convicted in this mm-hmm. country and, and everybody think, has to be, you know, innocent until proven guilty. Yeah, and a lot of the way we perceive emotion and honesty. I mean, how are you going to tell if I'm lying to you if all you can see is, mm-hmm. I mean, you have no context, no expression, no, fa- you know, people make assumptions. Also, you know, we don't know what us all wearing masks does to our psyches in general. Mm-hmm. And I think to say that it had zero emotional effect is 
not necessarily true, you know, is is not reasonable. Yeah. So yeah, I'm glad I'm so I feel terrible for her stress and the continuation of this nightmare, but also like it is the responsible thing to do to not get a bunch of people in a courtroom right now. I agree. I mean, I really do. I hate it for her because I know she wants to get it behind her. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will talk more about this case as as there's any progress or changes that happen. It's just that there's just not a lot going on right now. You know, this whole thing, this pandemic has really kind of taken over mm-hmm. everything. You know, it's really changed and interrupted life, you know, in every sometimes way. for the yeah. good, sometimes for the, you know, some, there's some good out of it. I think that there's families spending more time together at mm-hmm. home and that sort of thing. But wow, it's really hurt a lot of people too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So having said that, we're, I guess we can go into our good uh, story for this week. I found a go really <laughs> cool one. I'm so excited about this because you guys know every week I'm going to try to find a black healthcare professional to try to lift black voices and with uh, keep the conversation going. I don't want the conversation to die down that has been going on with the Black Lives Matter movement and with all of the change, the really good positive change that we've seen as a result of the horrible, atrocious events that have taken place, not just in the past few months. It's, it's literally our history, but for some reason, the more recent events that have, have taken place I actually have seen some changes happening in attitudes and conversation that's happening with people that um, maybe before you might have heard, if you say Black Lives Matter, you might hear them say, well, all lives matter, you know, things like that. I haven't heard that as much. And so I feel like there's some change happening and I don't want that. I don't want it to just go away. And you know how that happens. Everybody gets all excited about something and talking about it. And then it goes away and nothing happened. And then we move on to the next thing that's in the media. Yeah. And I think that a huge part of um, fighting against racism, discrimination, and the thing, all the negativity that comes with it is not just the defense, but also the uh, celebration of Black voices and Black, there's like millions of people that are wonderful. So for us to focus on all the negative is just too much. So I think this is great that we find people um, that we can congratulate and celebrate and uh, see that they've made a positive impact instead of just always the terror scrolling of all the horrible things that are happening in our country right now. So we still need to pay attention to those things and still need to make sure that we're not forgetting. But we also need to remember that there's like a lot of positive stuff. So this is a story that I'm really glad that you sent to me uh, to look at, to be able to talk about, because this guy seems pretty cool. Yeah, he really is. His name is Maxwell Anderson. Before becoming a uh, city of Berkeley council member, he earned his degree in respiratory therapy and later went to nursing school and became a critical care nurse. So This guy had an amazing career. He retired in 2016, and there was an article um, at uh, berkeleyside.com that talked about his retirement and talked about his career and his 27 years of public service and uh, the things that he was able to accomplish. And he sounds like really an amazing person. He was asked about his mo- uh, what he was most proud of accomplishing as a Berkeley city councilman. And he said that despite being in a minority position for the 12 years that he served, he was able to get through 
some important legislation regarding public health issues. So it sounds like he, being from a healthcare background, you know, being a nurse, being a respiratory therapist, maybe he tried to focus on that. Mm-hmm. He, uh, cell phone warning, uh, there was a cell phone warning, I guess he came up with to consumers regarding the safe use of their devices. That was something he did. Another one was with the breath mobile. He said it's a service he secured to treat asthmatic children in their schools, to case manage them, reduce hospital admissions and emergency room visits and improve their attendance at school. And he said that those, all those measures showed dramatic improvement. That sounds like really good things to be doing and pushing forward, you know? And it's just like a nurse turned community leader. I think we need more nurses on city councils, public government, you know, local government. And it sounds like he took the stuff that he had learned and he actually like he got results, like really good results. So Mm -hmm. count on a nurse to come in and fix stuff for you. (laughs) I know we need we need nurses in roles like this because this is how. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nurses and respiratory therapists, we need people in healthcare in roles like this because this is where real change happens. Um, and of course, we we talk about this um, a lot on this podcast too, about, you know, going and talking to your your congressman or, or, or congresswoman or going and talking with your legislators. And that's how you make real change. If you don't like your nurse to patient ratios or you want uh, some regulation for that or for pay or for whatever, you have to go and, and ask for it. You have to go and educate these people are making. And what he did is he did, he did a step beyond that. He just became one of them, which is yeah. awesome. <laughs> so they also asked what he wished he had been able to do before stepping away from the city council. And he said he wanted to ensure that that they initiated reforms regarding the revolving door for city employees, for those who leave the city and then join private firms and lobby their former colleagues. He would have liked to have seen a full commitment by the police department to community policing and constitutional policing. Would have liked to have seen commitment and a regional approach to ending homelessness, better minority contractor participation in city contracting. I think that would have been, that's a great thing to to consider. So he had his, like, those were goals. Those were things that he wanted to focus on. But also when he did retire, he, it's not like he was just going to stop doing anything. He still has goals and things that he wants. He still wants to be a part of the community and work to bring about change. He's just maybe not working in that capacity. So I thought that was really cool. He seemed like a really neat person and like he did a lot of cool things in his career and like he still has every intention of continuing that. So way to go. I feel like people that are true leaders, they don't stop being leaders just Mm -hmm. because they're not in a particular office or position. Informal leaders um, can come from anywhere. And he's like a really great example of someone who did a lot of different things. And I mean, politics is complicated and being empowered to go into that to me is admirable. So I hope there are more people out there like that that want to step in and actually like be part of the change process. I think it is important to do that. If you guys are interested in politics, I you know just because you're a nurse doesn't or in healthcare doesn't mean that you can't be involved in politics. You can there are things you can do 
I don't want to stop being a nurse, but at the same time, I like getting involved in stuff like that just because it's something different. You know, it's something getting away from the hospital and getting to take a field trip to the state capitol. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun. But, you know, we, we have a unique perspective. Mm-hmm. We are all educated, at least to some level, because you got to be to be in a lot of these healthcare positions. And so I've heard people say, wouldn't the world be a great place if like nurses, teachers, and farmers made all the decisions because then we'd all kind of have our best interests protected. I mean, I I should put my money where my mouth is and do more. But even if you don't want to have an office, pay attention to your city council meetings. Mm -hmm. Um, Vote. Even if, like, I heard someone talk about how, like, they have been voting in school elections because even though they don't have kids and they don't have kids in that school district, they'd like to not have a community of morons. Now, I'm paraphrasing in a very Mm -hmm. sarcastic way, but it's true. Like, if you want your community to be great, you gotta, you gotta do a little something for it. But yeah, and he, it sounds like he's very secure and confident that the work that he did made some difference. And so I think that he's a is a great example that if you see something that needs fixing, you don't have to just sit around and wait for somebody else to do it. Yes, I agree 100%. Well, I guess we can wrap up another week of Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Adrian, let everybody know, remind everyone where they can find you. Yeah, so the main hub where you can get to everything is nursinguncensored.com. You can get to the podcast, the blog, the vlog, Stuff that I've done with other nurses. Like, this is my second second time on your show, I think. Or third, maybe. Third, maybe. I mean, I love collaborating. We've had mutual people that we've collaborated with. And so um, I just really love this podcasting community. Uh, nurses are a special group of people. And I really love that, like... I'll talk, I'll be talking to somebody and they'll be like, did you hear Good Nurse, Bad Nurse this week? Or did you hear this show or that? And it's cool because I'm like, I know her. I'm special because I know, you know. So uh, yeah, nursingoncenter.com. You can get to all that stuff. Also, little shameless plug, got a little t-shirt. Cool. <laughs> so, I love that. Uh, yeah, look like a tank top. Yeah, it's a it's a racerback. So I like um, it. We've got the AC on in here so that you don't hear all of the traffic out in front of my house. So yeah, I got a little little thing over it because it's kind of chilly in here. But um, it's it's summer in Iowa, so it's hot and humid. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much for having me back on the show. I had a lot of. Fun? Is that the right word? Talk about <laughs> true crime is kind of fun. Admit it. That's why we all listen. Uh, it's interesting to hear. And uh, I hope that you never encounter anyone like that first respiratory therapist. But the second one, he sounds like a cool guy. I'd like to have a beer with him or something. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Well, you guys know you can come find us at goodnursebadnurse.com. You can check out our store. You can uh, become a patron for $3 a month and kind of have access to some extra stuff. And we're going to be putting more things on there. And you can find us um, on Instagram at goodnursebadnurse or Facebook at GMB and Podcast. And I also want to remind you guys that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse. (laughs) 